Hello, and welcome to The Blueprint, lifestyle design podcast, unpacking and applying creative design principles to help you live your maximized life. And now, ready to help you design and build your ultimate awesome future, here's your host, Andrew Lord. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Blueprint. Now, I've got an incredibly special treat for you today, not just for you, but for me too. And when I woke up this morning and started going through my gratitude exercise, I just could not get past the fact that today we are talking with the truly inspirational Michael Crossland. Now, Michael's one of the strongest, gutsiest, hope-fueled people who I have ever come across. And just to give you a bit of background, uh, I met Michael back in 2014. I was running a a student-led think tank which was just a bunch of students who I would meet with at lunch times and we'd dream about what school could be like, you know, what education could be. And as we were doing that, two major themes just kept coming up. Number one, they wanted to have more real-life learning experiences like, you know, excursions and work experience, which would, you know, make the learning experience real. And number two, they wanted to have more learning experiences that would inspire them, you know, not just facts and figures, but also mindset and motivation, you know, bringing that heart into being a key part of their learning journey. And so it was that year that the school found out about Luminosity, the Youth Summit, and they have been a part of that ever since. And there was also this great DP, Nicole, who was on board with what I was trying to do. And uh, she knew about the, the meetings that we were having. And so she organized Michael to come and speak to the school, to the whole uh, student body. And so I was just sitting there in the audience and I got to listen to Michael share about his life and the struggles that he's faced and how he's overcome those. And I was absolutely blown away by it. It was absolutely amazing. And I thought, you know, they were right. This is exactly what we need more of in education. It was incredible. And so I've seen Michael speak again since then. Uh, I've seen his appearances on national television. I've watched his family grow, you know, via Facebook. And so now, six years later, I think you can appreciate why I'm so excited to be connecting with him here on The Blueprint. So I'm going to let Michael tell you a bit more of his story. But just as a way of introduction, in the last five years, he's presented to over 600,000 people from all walks of life, from all around the world. He's spoken to... uh, People from different backgrounds, corporate backgrounds, juvenile detention centers, September 11 victims, elite athletes from all around the world. Now, despite spending nearly a quarter of his life in hospital, by the age of 23, he's represented Australia in baseball and forged a successful career in the corporate world. And then he went and let all of that go. He went off to pursue his true passion and purpose of speaking and inspiring and putting smiles on the faces of people no matter what their circumstances. He runs a school and an orphanage in Haiti. He's been presented with the Australia Day ambassador role for eight consecutive years. The award-winning documentary on his life, the ABC's Australian Story, has been viewed by over 4 million people. And in 2016, he released his first tell-all autobiography, which is now a bestseller across six different countries. He shared the stage with the likes of Sir Richard Branson, the Dalai Lama, and Mate, Tony you're pumping, Robbins. You're pumping the tires up. Jeez, I hope I can live up to the expectations <laughs> of setting here. <laughs> and if, if that's not enough, uh, there was a recent video of him speaking in LA that has been viewed by 60 million people. Michael, it's an absolute honor to have you here on The Blueprint. 
Very kind of you, mate, and very uh, very excited to be here. I uh, I thank you for saying all those wonderful kind words, and you've, uh, as I said, you certainly pumped the tires up. If my wife was here, she would deflate them very quickly. <laughs> She's like a dart, but um, mate, in all honesty, I I am just an ordinary old Australian that's faced my fair share of kicks. And now I'm very, very privileged to share my story with the world. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to still be here to be able to do exactly that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm honored to, to be here doing this interview with you. And um, to be honest, I've made myself a little bit nervous with that introduction. <laughs> um, you're an incredible human being. And, you know, I have to admit, you know, when I was thinking about how am I going to do this interview, I, I got a little stuck because I remember thinking, of all the challenges that you face and all the great things that you've been able to achieve. And there's so much there, but I also want to be able to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, some of the things that have happened in, in the recent years as well. So um, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask, you know, can you just share for the listeners who may not know uh, some of your background, can you share some of those key points or key elements that have gone into shaping who Michael is today? For sure. I think that, uh, we all have a story, right? We all have pain. We all have suffering. And it's not the adversity in our life that defines us. It's how we deal with it. And my problem is not so different to many others, um, but my solutions have been. And that's been able to empower me to lead and live a, re a really fulfilled life. I was diagnosed at the age of 11 months with an incurable cancer of the central nervous system called neuroblastoma stage four. Uh, the doctors gave me a 96% death rate. They told me to go home. But fortunately enough, my mum chose to look at my life not being 96% empty, but she chose to look at my life being 4% full. Uh, I think that so often we look at the glass being half empty as opposed to half full. So I'm, I'm very blessed that she looked at my life being 4% full. Uh, my chemo days, they started on my first birthday. My cycle was nine days on, three days off for many years until eventually they said the tumour had built a resistance. It had taken over half of my body. I went into surgery. Unfortunately, I didn't get all the tumour. Uh, so basically, they said that was it. Um, my dad and my three older sisters were flown from Coffs Harbour down to Sydney, basically to say goodbye. Um, but we were very fortunate. There was an American doctor. He was trialing a test drug. He was going to trial the drug on 25 patients. He had 24 candidates, and he asked whether I wanted to be number 25. Uh, obviously, my mum said yes, uh, because I think outside of love, hope is one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary. Mm. And it gave us hope. Uh, we started the drug at 9 a.m., on Tuesday morning with 24 other families. Uh, within one day, we were all transferred from the oncology ward to the burns unit. The after effects of this drug were so bad that we were completely covered from head to toe in blisters. Um, what they would do is they would wrap us up in bandages and they would lie us in bars full of ice, trying to prevent our brains from frying. Um, but sadly, uh, 24 out of the 25 of us that were on that drug passed away. And I say to people all around the world that I'm one of the lucky ones. I never say I'm one of the lucky ones because I'm still alive. I say I'm one of the lucky ones because I wasn't my mum. My mum had to make a choice to inject a drug into a child that's killed every single person ever taken it. And after 18 months of being burnt, the doctor said to my mum, we have no idea how or why, but you can take your little boy home. He will never go to school. He will never play sport. He'll be a housebound baby. And if he reaches his teenage years, it'll be a miracle. And my mum come through the curtains. I made out I didn't hear what the doctor said. I said, what did the doctor say? She said, oh, the doctor's told me that everything's going to be okay. And she believed in me. She, mm. she allowed me to lead as normal life as I possibly could. My time at school was really tough. I was different. I got picked on all the time. 
my health challenges continued and continue to this day. I had my first heart attack when I was 12. Uh, I was lucky enough to play for Australia when I was 16 um, in the under-16 Australian Expos baseball team. I got a chance to live in America and play baseball when I was 17. Unfortunately, my health deteriorated. When I was 18, my career was over. I got sent back to Australia. Uh, my heart couldn't compete. My health was just an absolute mess. Came back to the TV show on Australian Stories. I uh, got into the corporate world, worked my way up very, very quickly. Uh, at the age of 23, I had 600 staff, 120 banks around Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. I reported directly to the CEO. But I was uh, I was driven by the three Ps that destroy people. I was driven by power, privileges, and possessions. I had to have the multi-million dollar house. I had to have the $100,000 sports car. I had to wear the Rolexes and the Armani suits. And I chased what I thought was success i chased what i thought was going to bring me happiness and it took me so far away and in 2009 2010 i hit rock bottom i got very very unwell i got bacterial meningitis i got fluid on the brain i had bell's palsy down the right hand side of my body and i got to a point where i just i i didn't want to fight anymore i, mm. I wanted to quit but uh Every day I got greater clarity and understanding what was truly important. And I realized that all I needed to do was master two things and my whole world had changed. I needed to master the gift of giving. I needed to master what success was. And now I understand mm -hmm. that success is about how big my heart is, not how big my house is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about getting out of bed every single day and knowing in your heart that you can make a difference in somebody else's life. And the second thing was about this whole gift of giving. I, I, I thought for a long time the saying was the more you give, the more you shall receive. But now I understand the saying should be the more you give, expecting nothing in return, the more you shall receive. And that's mm. when I decided to walk away from the corporate world, dedicate and commit my life to serving and giving back. And that's when I opened a school for 270 kids in Haiti um, mm. and an orphanage over there for 40 little kids. We were told we could never have kids. So that was going to be the legacy that I got a chance to leave. Um, and, you know, an earthquake hit there in 2010, killed 316,000 people, left two and a half million people homeless. So mm. uh, to, for me to be able to do that was, it was a real privilege. And then the speaking world just took off, uh, started doing shows here in Australia and then America and then all around the world. And then I got a chance to share the stage with the Dalai Lama and then Richard Branson. And it just went ballistic. Um, mm. but as you know, 2016, um, 2016, it was a really tough year. Uh, mm. 2016 was where they found four more tumors in my throat. They told me that I wasn't going to make it to the end of the year. And I remember when I was driving home, my mum called me and she said to me, uh, what did the doctor say? And after all those years, I finally got a chance to return the favor. And I told mm. her that everything was going to be okay. Nice. Beautiful. So it's been, so, a, it's been a wild one. It's been a crazy yeah. one. Yeah, I'm just my head's just spinning just with with to to try and compute all of that. But um, you know, as someone who shares their life story as an inspiration to others, is there a time where you kind of thought, you know, I've made it, you know, I'm where I've achieved enough to be able to start telling my story? Because I know there's probably some people listening who who might be thinking of going off and doing something, but they feel that they're not, you know, accomplished enough, successful enough. They're not, uh, you know, they haven't got to that level that they might have in their mind. Was there a moment for you or did it not sort of pan yeah, out? It's like funny, that? great question. And I've never been asked that before. So it's really kind of nice to actually think um, back through the process. And 
You know, the one thing that I learned when I was a very young boy was no one in your life is ever going to tell you what you can do. They'll only ever tell you what you can't do. And it's your choice whether you choose to listen to that negativity and that hatred that might surround a circumstance or a situation in your life, i.e. your dreams. And I've begun to realize that, you know, as long as the person that stares back at you of a morning and of a night when we brush our teeth, as long as that person believes in us, then mm. we can achieve and lead and live a remarkable life. Now, I realize that there are four steps to achieving uh, greatness in life. You know, firstly, we need to visualize what we want to achieve. Secondly, we need to believe it. We actually need to believe it. The third thing is we need to act upon it. And that's the fourth step will be the achievement of our dreams and our goals. So to achieve something, you need to act. But for you to act, you need to believe. But mm. for you to believe, you need to visualize. So mm. for me, it was about visualization and, and, and wanting to create something spectacular. And, you know, it's funny when you say things like, you know, when was the time when you felt like you'd made it? You know, mm. I, I, I spoke in a 22 countries last year. I was on 180 flights. You know, I, I still don't think I've made it. You know, I, <laughs> I'm getting up out of bed every single day, striving to just serve as many people as I can. I just... I don't want to leave a legacy anymore. I want to live into my legacy. I want to be able to create long-lasting, life-changing impact globally. And I just want to make sure that when my time is up on this earth, which I continually get told is just around the corner, I, um, I just want to make sure that I leave the earth better than what I found it. And mm. I think that if we all had that vision, if we all had that outlook on life to, to just want to make a positive change and a positive impact, then this world would truly be a beautiful place. Yeah, no, well said. Um, when I first heard you speak, I, I was obviously moved by your story and by the you know, things that you've overcome. But uh, I actually uh, got most moved by what's going on uh, at, in Haiti and, and the, the work that's happening there, possibly because um, you know, that's part of my heart is to help young people as well. So uh, can you just share... Um, for the people listening a little bit about what you do there? Yeah, so in 2010, I went over there and I found out that many of the young kids uh, that lived in this remote village called Bouvier were walking three hours of a morning and three hours of an afternoon to get an education. Uh, my nephew, he won't get the school bus, which is about 25 steps from his front door if it's raining. And these <laughs> kids are walking six hours a day. Um, yeah. But what made us act upon it so quickly is Unfortunately, we found out that many of the young girls were being raped on their way home from school and they would get out of bed every day knowing that that was a chance to happen to them because they knew the only way they could break the cycle was to get an education. Mm. And so brave. We complain because it's cold, it's raining. Mm. We complain because there's traffic or we don't have enough money to buy the things that we want as opposed to the things that we need. Mm. And I just found a really wonderful opportunity to be able to impact some really special kids lives and mm -hmm. then um yeah and then on the way back we we walked past this little village and inside the village there was an orphanage and i met this one little boy and i said what's the best part about living here and he said the best part is i get a bowl of rice every second day mm. he said the worst part is of a night time because that's when the earthquake hit killed my mum, dad and both my brothers i lived on the streets for four months eating food out of garbage bins and uh, where I sleep over night time, I have a little tarp over my bed. And when it rains, I get soaking wet, uh, not just because the tarp leaks, but because I share a bed with two little boys and both of them still pee their pants. And I, 
I couldn't accept that, mm. you know, and the life that we complain about is really only a dream for, for some and I needed to act upon it. So I came back, we started our own charity where every cent gets sent and now we, uh, we've, we've really made an impact. You know, my mm. dream goal and vision in life is to make a global impact and to be able to go over there and see these beautiful kids achieve some really wonderful, remarkable things regardless of the adversities that they continue to face is inspiring for me and I went over there to make a difference in somebody's life who will never be able to return the favor, but I could never give to these kids uh, what they have given to me. I could never teach these kids as much as what they have taught me, and I am forever grateful for that. Mm. Obviously, we're in lockdown now, but do you get to go back uh, often or is it yeah, sort I of try distant? And, no, I try and get over there two or three times a year. Obviously, my schedule is pretty insane when – we're not in lockdown. I've, I've been here for 15 weeks. I've got no immune system, uh, so I can't go outside and be near people. So um, that's been a little challenging when I'm, when I'm a hugger. I'm a people person, so yeah. it's been a bit challenging. But, you know, it just demonstrates the importance and the power of the mind. And once we start to control that, and that's something that I've been working on a lot, it's really given me the ability to, to stay strong and mm. to stay focused in ensuring that I can serve as many as I can. You know, I Last week, I did an event in, in America, in South Africa, and in Western Australia, all on the same day, all in my lounge room. You know, yeah. I, didn't have to, I didn't have to leave the house, which was amazing. Not one flight, not one hotel, yeah. not one night away from, from the house. So it's, um, you know, it's been really, really special. But yeah, I try and get over there as much as I can. Yeah, beautiful. And um, we'll put some links uh, just below where people are listening to this so that they can, you know, get on board with... Um, your vision and, and support in whatever way they can. And we've got a few more to talk about in a minute. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like to ask you about your mum. You know, you talk about her a lot in, in some of your material that I've seen. Can you just tell us a bit about her as a person? Yeah, without a doubt, my mum is um, my rock, my inspiration. She's without a doubt one of the most courageous people on the planet and uh, she had an unwavering commitment and determination to fight to save her little boy's life regardless of what the world was saying and for that I am incredibly indebted to her and uh, I finally got a chance to give her a little bit back in 2016 before uh, all this tumor stuff happened and mm. um, I, I got a chance to put a pink ribbon on a new door to a new house and to be able to give back to that one woman that sacrificed so much of her life for me was without a doubt one of the greatest days. And I think that I learned very quickly that it is far greater to give than to receive. And, mm. um, you know, it's funny that people think because I bought my mom a house, I must be rich, but uh, the bank loaned me some money and I, I pay 450 bucks a week to keep her in that beautiful house. And yeah. her smile makes every cent worth it. And I'm just, I'm just so blessed that, God gave me an incredible mum and that mm. has helped me remarkably through um, the past and then obviously the continued ongoing challenges that I, uh, that I face now. Yeah. And you're a parent yourself now. I mean, how has that uh, changed your perspective and, you know, what are some of the challenges that you're finding in that new role? Yeah, it's funny. We were told we'd never be able to have kids and then after five years of IVF, we announced to the world in 2017 that, we're going to have a baby in late February. Um, but as many of you know, and I'm sure you know, um, he decided to arrive into the world 10 weeks early, weighing two pounds, very unwell. Uh, we're only given five days with him. And um, it was really 
it was really the first time in my life where I've walked a day in my mum's shoes. Mm. And I realized that it is so much easier lying in the bed than standing next to it. And that has been one of the most incredible life lessons and a renewed amount of appreciation, love and respect for, for carers. Uh, and obviously for my mum, you know, we spent many months in Sydney. Uh, I watched the man resuscitate my little boy, you know, trying to bring him back to life. And I remember just standing there saying, take my house, take my car, take every asset I own, but just don't take my little boy. And I think that when we get in those times of absolute fear and pain and desperation, we finally begin to prioritize what's truly important. And I think that it's so important that we don't wait until it's too late before we decide to change. We don't wait until it's too late before we decide to appreciate the little things um, before they're gone, before they're taken away from us. And I'm just so grateful that he wasn't taken away from us. And he's a two and a half year old, healthy, beautiful little boy. And he has, uh, he's changed my life. And, and I, I've learned more from him in two and a half years and I've learned myself in 36 years on this planet. And yeah. um, I'm, a, I'm a very blessed man to be a dad to a, a very, very special little boy. Mm, yeah. I think uh, we've got a lot of parents that do listen to the podcast. And I think because being a parent is such a, a common thing in the sense that, you know, there are a lot of people who do it. Um, we sometimes lose the wonder of, of what it actually means to, to participate in that miracle. And so um, it's nice to hear you, you reflect on your experience. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you, mate. Uh, so everyone's kind of facing a, a certain level of fear and a little bit of uncertainty. Um, you know, you've, you've kind of described it already, but what's lockdown, lockdown been like for you? Yeah, fear, in my opinion, is false evidence appearing real. So I think that one thing that I really try and push in a lot of my clients and, and obviously for myself is that your head needs to be where your body's at. The only way that we actually feel fear is when we are not living in the present. We are fearful of the future. And I think the more that we can really keep our head firmly attached to our shoulders and stop worrying about what might be tomorrow and stop regretting about what could have been yesterday, but rather just start appreciating what is now. I think that that's when we can eradicate a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, so for me, yeah, it was, it was tough. You know, 68 events canceled. My whole diary cleared out. My wife lost her job. My mum lost her job. Um, you know, if I get this, they tell me I'm going to die. So I remember my wife saying to me, what are we going to do? And I, I remember saying those words again, you know, everything, everything's going to be okay. Uh, we mm. had to evolve. We had to pivot. We had to shift. We had to embrace change, and and now you know, as I said, I'm doing events all around the world from home, which is a which is a blessing. Uh, and I think that you know, I, my outlook on life has changed dramatically because of this. You know, a mm. lot of people say that COVID and, and isolation and all those sort of things are uh, are the worst thing that could happen on the planet. And yes, in many senses of the words, that is the case. But I think when you look at it from an optimistic, resilient perspective. It gives us the ability to understand that now is the time for the world to reset. Now is the time for us to reflect on what we have and begin to appreciate the finer things that we have all taken for granted for so long. So for me, it was really about almost like sitting down and writing a letter saying, thank you. Uh, thank you to COVID for, for what it has taught me, for mm. what it has encouraged me to do and empower me to do. You know, I, I was stuck in my house, not being able to go anywhere. So I, fortunate enough, put pen to paper. I wrote 
I wrote another book, uh, which mm. I hope can inspire people around the world to, to lead a better life. I've been able to finish a couple of audio books. I've been able to do some one-on-one coaching with, you know, professional athletes and CEOs and mums and dads, you know, so yeah. I've just been really fortunate to not have to get on 180 flights a year and mm. be there next to my son every morning that he wakes up and be there lying next to my wife every night when I go to bed. And those are the sort of things that, you know, I haven't been able to enjoy uh, nor truly appreciate um, until this circumstance that has happened. Mm. Yeah, I was talking to my mum just uh, last night actually about um, watching the news and uh, how we making smart choices about how we feed ourselves with um, an appropriate level of awareness with what's going on. Um, do you have sort of comments about, you know, mindset and, and how to kind of look after that, you know, some advice yeah. for people out there? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the more negative news we consume, the more negative impact it has on us. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm sure you're aware, but the subconscious mind is such a powerful thing. And the words that we speak, the words that we hear register on such a deep level that we are not truly uh, aware of. You know, we have 80 to 100,000 thoughts a day and 70% of them are negative. Mm-hmm. So I think if there's ways that we can not only reduce the amount of thoughts that we have each day, but also be able to reduce the percentage of negativity that is produced within our own mindset, then I think that is going to equip us incredibly well uh, with more optimism and resilience. So, you know, for me, my my daily routine is key. You know, it's, I'm all about um, activation, meditation, appreciation. I get mm. up and I get exercising at sort of five o'clock, 5.30 in the morning because that is when no one's out. So I mm. can go outside and do that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, It's funny today, you know, I think the, the, the whole gift of giving is something really really powerful and a lot of people say you know i'll start to give and serve others when i'm rich but Mm -hmm. every time i run home uh, i notice that the paper man he throws the paper out and it lands nowhere near the guy's front door next door and Mm -hmm. he's an old guy he's probably in his 80s and uh every morning uh, without even thinking i just do my lap and then i get out the front again and i grab his paper and i throw it on his front doorstep that's just Mm -hmm. a routine thing i don't Mm -hmm. i don't think about it it's just a habit now and it's just a little thing to, you know, hopefully give him a little positive step of a morning that he doesn't need to stumble out with a walking stick. And then, then I go inside and I meditate for about 20 minutes to really slow down the mind. And then every morning and every night, I just write down three things that I'm truly grateful for. Because I think mm. that if we start our day with exercise and clarity and appreciation and we end our day with appreciation, I think that that is a really powerful tool to be able to... Uh, again, that word empower us to take control of what is going on between the ears because yeah. it's not the things that are happening in the world that we are not in control of that are going to shift our lives. It's the things that we are in control of that we choose not to act upon. And I think that's where we need to focus our attention. Yeah, nice. So you said you've been working on a book. You, you've had this opportunity to, you know, sit still and, and um, work on a project. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, Wiley is a publishing company. They've been asking me for many years to write another book and I haven't seen it to be important because I was so busy. And, you know, that old Mm. saying, if it's important, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. And I've been finding every excuse under the sun over the last couple of years. But finally, the treadmill of life has uh, pulled the plug on the PowerPoint and it had come to a complete halt. So I had no excuses. So Mm. I had to put pen to paper. Um, In fact, I'm launching my book uh, tomorrow, which is, which is very good timing, very exciting. Yeah, yeah. 
tomorrow yep. night. I'm going to do a big event online. So if anybody wants to jump on, uh, jump onto my social media pages and you can uh, grab it. But the book literally arrived last week. Uh, it's called Everything Will Be Okay. And I'm just, I'm really proud of what I've been able to create. I'm really proud that um, that it's hopefully going to inspire a lot of people and, and leave a legacy. But mm. um, what I'm also proud of is obviously uh, every cent from this book goes to charity. So to be able to serve more people from um, this book is, uh, is is really important to me, and uh, that's why I'm, I'm yeah I'm really excited about it uh, hitting hitting the shelves. It's going to be in ten thousand bookstores supposedly, but wow. um, I don't know if anybody even goes to bookstores anymore. So <laughs> you can get it online or at my website. But um, yeah, yep. I'm, I'm really excited by it. Yeah, and once again, we'll definitely put mm. links just below wherever you're listening to this episode. Uh, make sure you get it. Uh, it's a must get. And uh, I think it reinforces just what we were talking about before about, um, you know, this is an opportunity for people to put some positive inspirational uh, voices back into their, into their mental diet, so to speak. So, Michael, you're an incredible human being. I feel, like I said at the beginning, I feel so blessed to be able to, to have this opportunity. I've got to say, during this interview, um, you have been incredibly intuitive. I've got my list of... Uh, questions here and you're just sort of unpacking it um, before I even get to it so you're so on the ball um, and I just want to thank you for the amazing contribution that you are uh, making to the world you said that it's important for you to to be living in your legacy and, and leaving a legacy you are absolutely doing it um, I'm in awe of you I, I have so much respect for you and um, really appreciate you spending some time with us today my pleasure, mate. And I think that in closing from my end, that it's so important that we all begin to understand that through great darkness, that is our discovery moment. Mm -hmm. We do not discover how unfair our life is, but rather we discover how powerful we have been created. And right now is an opportunity for humans, mankind, to actually discover how powerful we have been created, the power that we have within us that we that we hide away from, that we don't delve into. You know, we must embrace the coolness of the shadows for us to truly enjoy the warmth of the sunshine. So get out of bed every single day and do something that your future self will be proud of. And uh, thanks for having me on, mate. I hope I've been able to serve and give and, and hopefully inspire. And there you go. What an awesome guy. That was a powerful, heartfelt and emotive interview with a man that I've got huge respect for, Michael Crossland. He's a hero of faith, hope and love a man of courage, a man who still gets into the arena every day to live life to the full. And he's pointed out some key truths about what's really important in life. And as he said, sometimes it takes going to the edge of desperation and fear to find out what is truly important in our lives. Uh, but for those of us who haven't done that, either we haven't been pushed outside our comfort zone or maybe we've just been lucky, you know, in those moments, that's when we have to trust people like Michael, people who have been to the brink of annihilation, who have stared defeat and despair in the face and walked away uh, knowing what is truly real and knowing what true success is. And we find that in the connections that we have and the people that we love. And having said that, Michael still has a winning formula. You know, I'm not sure if you picked that up in the interview, but he still outlined there four steps, you know, visualize, believe, take action, and then achieve. And he's also got, you know, some recipes for success that he shared in there, activation, meditation, and appreciate. He shared how he started his days, exercise, meditation, gratitudes, and giving. And the giving was even 
you know, in such a small little way, but it showed what a winner does. You know, it shows what a champion and a successful man does to start his day. And if I could come back to those four steps, visualize, believe, action, and achieve. Obviously, the first part of that is seeing, you know, seeing in your mind and your heart what it is that you're called to do. Knowing what is that first step. What do I need to do? To be inspired literally means to breathe in, you know, breathe in spirit. And so inspiration is a powerful first step for anyone who wants to uh, achieve something and have an impact in their lives, leave a legacy. So I want to encourage anyone listening to this interview to go out, grab a copy of Michael's new book, Everything Will Be Okay. We all need inspiration. We all need some good news, possibly now more than ever. So go out and grab a copy, click on one of the links below, or just go and visit michaelcrossland.com to find out more. Okay, that's all from me for now. I look forward to catching you next time. Bye for now.